0: The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network, and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 204. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed.
1: It's when a Time Lord's body wears out, you regenerate. I'm a time lord I'm not
0: a human being I walk in eternity Bravehearty
1: Change my dear And it seems On a
0: moment too soon Unlimited vice pudding Physician Wearing a bit thin Fantastic
2: I am Scottish I can complain about things Ta-da. Ooh. Should be fine
0: Hi, I'm Tom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the fifth Doctor story, Time Flight. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Father Cory Stiga. Hi, Father Cory.
2: So I hear you guys enjoyed this uh, advertisement for the Concorde as much as I did. The British Airways Concorde, nonetheless.
0: Oh, well. I may have a slightly different opinion, but we'll get get to that in just a sec. But first, (laughs) I want to encourage everyone, make sure that you have subscribed to the show, which you can do in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, even Amazon has Music has podcasts now. Basically, wherever you can get podcasts, you can subscribe to us, including in your favorite podcast app, or you can listen on the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should always hit the bell to get notifications of new episodes.
1: So when you type in time flight into Amazon mm-hmm. to, to, to to watch this episode, I mean, which is how I, t- I watch mm-hmm. these episodes. I mean, I have the DVD collection, but I just go to Amazon and type in the episode and right. you type in time flight. It, sh- it it wants to show you anything but this connected <laughs> yeah. with the words time or flight. You've got to type in time flight, Dr. Who, if you want to see this.
2: Well, it was, it was funny when I watched it on Britbox, I always thought it was time flight, one word. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's not, and it shows on the screen.
0: Time dash flight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I think and that's it's just an- like I don't know why <laughs> I always thought that. You know, it's it's yeah, it's a it's an odd um, affectation of the time dash flight. Uh, so this was, uh, from a fan perspective, this was very popular when it first aired. It had high ratings, which might prob- might have been a follow-on effect of the episode in which Adric died. Mm-hmm. I think a lot yeah, of people right. watch that and then watch the next episode, of course, to see how they dealt with his his death. Briefly. Yeah. And then over the years, it's become very unpopular with fans. In 2009, a fan poll listed it as 196th of the 200 then-available Doctor Who stories. Mm-hmm. In 2014, it's 237th out of the 241. and as you guys have indicated, you didn't like it. I didn't have as negative a reaction to it, mm-hmm. uh, but I think part of that is I'm an airplane geek. So,
2: oh, yeah,
0: I okay. I love see, the Concorde. <laughs> oh so. well, yeah, see, I,
2: I I enjoy the Concorde, and it you know it's I that's my one of my one of my regrets that I probably will never be able to fulfill is that I would love to have flown the Concorde at no you know, Mach one. But yes, this was still, I mean. <laughs> And, and the reason why I joke about it being a Concorde advertisement is this was only six years after British Airways and Air France started flying the Concorde commercially. It yes. started in 76, yeah. and this was aired in 82. We've probably so, got
1: listeners who don't even know what a Concorde may be, so we should probably explain yeah. that. The Concorde was yeah. a supersonic jet that offered passenger service between Europe and North America for a couple of couple three decades and mm -hmm. you know it flew really fast it was the fastest commercial airliner and so it was a big deal at the time but as you can see in this episode they have a sparse passenger cabin so not a lot of passengers and that's what led to the cancellation of concord
2: flights Mm -hmm. yeah it's 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 width wise it's the same as some of the the regional it's really no bigger inside than some of the regional jets that fly like here in europe and places like that so it's, it really does not have a large, it was, it was, it was very popular with like the New York jet set crowd. It was very popular with politicians and, you know, entertainers yeah. and so on who wanted to get between Europe and United States very quickly. Cause it do it in, you know, a matter of hours, you know, five hours or something like that.
0: It was very expensive. So like the equivalent of uh, today's in today's dollars, about $13,000 for a flight. One uh, flight and carried. Yeah. Yep. It, yeah. One flight. And carried 92 to 128 passengers depending on how the cabin is configured and it was very expensive to operate and they they couldn't fill it and so it became you know these the, the 747s and those planes became yep. were much more economical they could offer first class a first class ticket on a 747 to London or Paris was a fraction of of that yeah. and you and it was more comfortable the only advantage was it was a shorter trip uh so it wasn't economical for the airlines eventually, and the the excuse though was is the crash, uh, which was two thousand two, two thousand three, somewhere on that. The, the, there like was that. a there was a crash of the of a Concorde, Air France Concorde, and so that was that was the end of of its time. But in nineteen eighty two, this was the height of you know the future was going to be yep. supersonic aircraft, passenger aircraft, bringing you to new york to hong kong in just a couple of hours i remember reagan talking about that with the scramjets, uh like mm-hmm. he was like they were promoting that back in the 80s that this was the future uh which we never actually got to so <laughs> i could see why british airways i mean they, these were actual uh concords that were being used as props as
2: well as models of concords yep. that you could buy the, at a toy store
0: well yes, yes those two yes <laughs>
2: but, now the, to be fair though, they did block out the word airways. You look at the, the models at least, and all yeah. you see all well, it says is British. And, in, right. and that is the British Airways livery of the time, but they blocked out the airways part of it, so it just said <laughs> British. Yeah. So it wasn't yeah. it wasn't literally an advertisement for British Airways, but let's be honest. British Airways was more than happy to have this episode aired and to give some of their footage of the, oh, the yeah. Concords taking mm-hmm.
0: off. Yeah.
1: I find what one of the things I find interesting is Some of the reasons that are offered for why this is disliked, you know, a lot of the cast indicated they didn't like it. The actress who played Nyssa indicated that, uh, who plays Nyssa, indicated she didn't like it because she didn't understand what was going on in it. And it has a Mm -hmm. really convoluted plot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can figure it out, but it is not particularly easy to figure out. But Peter Davison said he didn't like it because he thought it had a good premise and there was a good story here but it was done at the very end of the season when money had run out so they didn't have the money to visually realize the story (laughs) right and to me that's like i don't care i'm not here for the special effects right they're gonna look horrible from 1982 anyway if i'm judging them as special effects i don't care if your black and white ridiculous ant monster prop bumps its head into the
2: camera i want a good story (laughs) yeah right and this did not give me that. What was what's funny is you know you talk about the you know running out of money. I thought it was the other way around. I thought they had some extra money at the end because how many Tardis materializations and dematerializations did they have in this episode? Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's got to be twenty yeah. of them. I mean, it's, yeah. it's both both the spoiler Master and the Doctor's Tardis are constantly popping in and out of materialization and dematerialization.
0: <laughs> right, and you had different sets and the and a bunches of miniatures and uh, really bad rock monster costumes or whatever those were. I'm not sure what they were supposed to be, Uh, but which is par for the course. (laughs) I I have
1: them listed as caulking gun creatures because it looks like they've been made out of stuff you squirt out of a caulking gun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's right. Uh, It's interesting to compare this. We recently did an episode on uh, the the faceless ones, the second Doctor story That, that was all about planes at Heathrow so it's kind of interesting Gatwick. to have. That was Gatwick. I'm sorry. That's right. That's right. Gatwick. But at a at an airport. So it's interesting to compare and contrast these these two episodes. And it, the the second Doctor story had plenty of uh plot. It everything held together. It was paced well. This one did not have the same the, the same level of of well the plot was convoluted. The second Doctor story was six part. This was four part. Right. Then so it had time to to tell the story that which is true. Okay, no, that's that's like if it was gonna if one of
1: them was gonna go wrong. I mean, if you were asked which which would you rather watch a four part or a six part? Any one of us would probably say, "Oh, I hope this is a four parter rather than <laughs> yeah. a six parter," because six parters tend to have padding. But right. despite the fact that was a six
2: parter, it was way better yep. than this, at least yes. in J- my opinion. J- okay. Jimmy, my yeah. my that's my point you know okay. is, uh you know usually six usually six parters are slogs or can be right. can be obviously faceless ones wasn't we've had we've had other six parters that were yeah. really good episodes but yeah usually the four parters are the ones that okay they're much more tightly packed there's not as much running around there's not as much filler
0: so in the end of the last episode earthshock the fifth, the fifth doctor story earthshock they went back in time right to to the, the t- yeah 75 years ago 60, Okay, and this one goes back to 140 million years ago. Before that.
1: Oh, I know. Yeah, I have that in my notes, too. I mean, we are in the early Cretaceous, and we don't see a single dinosaur. What a gyp. I know, right? <laughs> Why take us to the Cretaceous period if you're not going to show us dinosaurs?
2: They could have got a little toy brontosaurus and put it like next to the pyramid or something, you know, just to have just to have just something, something on
0: screen. <laughs> I don't even know if yeah. br- br- brontosaurus are that time period, but <laughs> yeah, brontosaurus. So They call them something else these days, by the way. They, they, they've yeah. changed the dinosaurs. That's really annoying. Uh, so let's talk about the the story itself. So the, the big the big thing coming into this one is Adric is dead. How do they deal with mm-hmm. it? And we don't get a lot of that. I mean, there's there are a couple of repercussions. The very first scene with the doctor and this and Tegan, they yep. kinda deal with their grief. And and Teagan is saying, Well, we could save him. All we have to do is go back, pull him out of the crashing starship uh, from the you know, right before it crashes, and it can still crash, but you can save him and we're fine and that's cuz that's what every fan sa- is saying right now yeah, watching right. that episode
1: and it's good that they pointed out i mean at the, the you can still have the crash of the spaceship into the earth that kills the dinosaurs you don't have to change history why can't we just save adric right and so Tegan's making an excellent point i'm glad the writers pointed it out they did about all they could with with mm-hmm. that which is have the doctors right. say well there are some laws that can't be broken yes because it's
2: a fixed point in time. Oh, wait, that's a new who concept. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Right. But at this point, you know, the Time Lords were still around and could enforce such things. And so he has an extra limiting factor on his ability to change stuff. But, you know, really, it's narrative limitations. We, You know, it, the real reason Adric is not here has nothing to do with in-universe. It's that we right. wanted to change the cast, and that means mm-hmm. letting the actor go.
0: Right. Yep. Uh, it, it is interesting. Uh, the The doctor very, very emphatically at that point, by the way, says, you know, don't even ask me to do such things. It's it's a very, he's very, it's, it's almost emotional about like, mm-hmm. don't like it's it's not it's not even appro- appropriate to ask me this thing. We won't talk about this ever again. Uh, that sort of thing. So it was very interesting. Uh, Tegan is very emotional. Nyssa is her usual very logical Vulcanish sense uh, there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it's interesting. And so to cheer them up, the doctor's like, well, hey, let's go to the Great Exhibition of 1851 at the Crystal Palace in London. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah.
1: That's just what I want when I'm grieving a trip to Disneyland. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but but of course, they never get there. Because the main, the main story is we have this Concorde flight from New York to London that disappears off of uh, air traffic control radar, uh, which is would be a huge deal, by the mm-hmm. way. And it It's been sucked through time, and so that which affects the tardis and makes the tardis land basically where the 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 in, at Heathrow where the Concorde was supposed to be at that date and time and it's nineteen eighty two which is when Tegan left with the fourth doctor at the end of yeah the the yep. last episode of the fourth doctor
1: by the way, is they're marveling at the disappearance of the Concorde, one of them makes like one of the air traffic controllers or somebody makes a Remark about how can thirty million pounds of aircraft just vanish? And I'm going thirty million pounds. <laughs> really?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: It actually, the Concorde weighed only a hundred and seventy-five thousand. So it's like they were off by a factor of a hundred and seventy. Uh, now, are we talking Wrong pounds. British
2: pounds though? Dollars, money, thirty million dollars. They are a dollar, money instead of weight.
1: Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. And the, well, <laughs> that that's better then.
0: Yes. In 1977, it was 23 million pounds. So, you know, somewhere yep. in the in that uh, okay. range. But yeah, yeah. Inflation. <laughs> Inflation. So, yes, how could it disappear? The uh, TARDIS, the, I love the fact, by the way, that they're concerned about the cost of the plane and not so much the crew and passengers. <laughs> I, I was, uh, <laughs> kind of said something about the guys who are worrying about the plane disappearing. But the TARDIS materializes over the runway. Uh, it's kind of hovering there. And then he moves it into into the terminal. Which causes even in well, 1982 this, causes a security uh, uproar. Well, this this uh,
2: was a you know of course this was a kind of a I think this was kind of a flaw in how they did the 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 graphics, but the way that the, the dialogue describes it is he actually the TARDIS materialized in the land in the approach flight path of right. Ga- of a uh, Heathrow, but then yes. they make it look like it's yeah it's just hovering right over the middle of the runway type of deal.
0: Which I suppose is the it's not the approach path, but it's it's where planes are supposed to be landing, and that's the problem. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And, and so he tells them to call unit, uh, basically, and and asks after the the brig brigadier, uh, which I thought was a nice touch. oh he's got yeah, he, he's
2: probably a general by now.
1: The the, <laughs> the call unit thing was nice because yep. you know that is a logical way to get him out of the security jam. You need a reason for people to trust the doctor and let him in on what's going on, and that's a good one. I even like that we got a little bit of extraneous description. He says, "Call unit, department C nineteen, Sir John Sudbury."
0: Right, mm-hmm. right,
1: and so like apparently that's a little more about the department of unit that the doctor is associated with and who its official head is.
0: And it quickly, you know, uh, jumps over all the objections and stuff. And now the doctor has been officially attached to the investigation. Boom! We're you know we're we're now in that part. We don't have to deal with that all of the the, the red tape and whatnot in yeah, convincing it, people.
1: It, imagine how. The faceless ones would have been different if the second doctor could have d- just done that and gotten mm-hmm. in on the airport investigation rather than all the hoops he had to jump through.
0: Right. Then it would have been a four-parter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. So, uh, so the, his solution is is to load up the TARDIS on another Concorde, because now we're going to risk a second Concorde, uh, with the TARDIS on board, and then take it up and you uh, use his, the, the TARDIS's sensors to detect what happened and the doctor does have a great line it's amazing the Concorde is smaller on the inside than the outside which is actually (laughs) one of the funny like we were saying one of the funny knocks on it was that it because it was so over-engineered for high-speed flight it was actually kind of cramped inside relatively yeah but i thought that was a good line uh and they load the tardis in the cargo bay but it has to be laying down because it's even on a regular like seven four seven, I don't know that they could stand a TARDIS up inside the cargo. Not, bay. not a passenger one,
2: obviously. A freight one would be no problem, but a passenger right, one right. would be an issue.
0: But the Concorde also, I think, pretty limited cargo space. Yep. So, uh, and they even they even like uh, I don't did they ever do this before where the Doctor had to enter the TARDIS on its laying on its side and he had to switch to the gravity.
1: I I don't recall them ever doing that. Uh, they They may have done similar things, but I do like the fact that because the tardis is laying on its side, the doctor has to adjust the tardis's internal gravity, and people have to make this transition between climbing into it one way and then
2: flipping upright to walk yep. inside yeah. it yeah they they did mention uh Castrovalva because remember they, they 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 the Tegan and Nyssa basically crash landed the tardis at a odd angle, mm-hmm. but I don't yeah. think they ever showed it on screen that it was at an angle inside.
0: Now I want to talk a little bit about the the crew of the second Concorde, the the pilot and crew. I really like Captain Stapley. He uh-huh. he start mm-hmm. he starts off as a skeptic, and who is this? You know, he's very you know, he was a science guy. You know, he's very grounded, uh, so to speak.
1: Well, he's kind uh, of an airplane uh, pilot guy.
0: Yeah, he yeah. is an airplane pilot guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, doesn't have uh, the the airplane pilot guy mustache though. That would be that no. Would be that's even the better.
1: that's the the <laughs> in flight engineer that has that.
0: Yes, yep. yes. He did, he looked very much like Captain Jeff. <laughs> so, uh <laughs> but Captain Stapley uh, over the course of this story really I he really becomes really um what am I trying to say? realized as a character. Yeah. yeah and he takes he takes control. He does things. He's trying to, you know, he, he's believable as a this guy who's trying to on his own initiative fix what's going on as best as he can. Yeah. And I really he, liked him.
1: Yeah. He's like a highly functional companion. By the end Mm -hmm. of this, he's taking initiative to help the doctor and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. He's even almost sort of piloting the TARDIS. (laughs)
0: Yes, (laughs) I I, want to talk about that in in a sec too, because that was that was uh, I like that part of it. But they they end up going back to 100. They follow through the time warp, end up a, a warp 140 million years in the past, and. But, and they land at what they think is Heathrow, oh, they don't realize it at first that they're that they've traveled through time. they, they think they've landed at Heathrow uh, and they're but they're kind of seeing through what we would call a new who a perception filter. They have a perception yeah. filter they that call is, it a
1: perceptual induction here,
0: right, right, And only Nyssa is the one to sees through it at first, and she sees like skeletons or something, which mm-hmm. we never get an explanation for who the skeletons are mm. But uh, but but she she sees I see dead people instead of seeing (laughs) Heathrow uh, there and that's that's how they kind of then they all have you'll use their powers of concentration to see through the deception that uh, has been laid upon them and the doctor discovers a crashed alien ship that we see this alien in a building well yeah so
1: it's a semi Chinese conjurer. Yeah, that has a head made of papier-mâché covered with model and clay, (laughs) and it's it's chanting with pseudo Chinese mysticism.
0: Yeah, so we're told eventually that his name is Khalid, and
1: which isn't a Chinese name.
0: Well, in fact, he's supposedly Arabian. (laughs) At some point, we're told, Uh, but there's supposed
2: to be some Indian in there as well. And he's
0: he's a bit too Charlie Chan for me, frankly, (laughs) to get to the. The classic uh, black and white uh, movies. I- yeah, it would uh, obviously it would never fly today.
2: And of course, he's played by Leon Nite, quote unquote. Yeah. Who is- Spoilers. He's not what an, an- thinks he thinks It's
1: an anagram for Tony Ainley.
0: Oh, okay. Also okay, known yes.
1: as the
2: master. And, right.
0: And that way he could show up in the first couple episodes without revealing who they, he they really, really they really the enjoyed
2: doing that in especially in uh john michael turner's time as head showrunner they really like right. doing the anagram whenever he would be in disguise
1: yeah, yeah i mean he also is apparently really into this khalid role for himself because he keeps it up he doesn't break k even when he's totally alone which he is right. most of the time that we see him for the first two episodes, he's like alone in this weird chamber chanting at a device. Yep. Right. Yeah. He's
0: he's gun method on that uh, yeah. <laughs> Khalid role. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and he's controlling using a some sort of crystal ball thing, which we'll find out mm-hmm. is, it's a device, a you know, a, a, a technological device. But he's mentally controlling the passage, passengers and crew of the first Concord uh, who- Making them do stuff. Including steal the TARDIS uh, mm-hmm. from the from mm-hmm. the doctor. And they, they are in this illusion of being at Heathrow and that sort of thing. And then we have the alien caulking creatures that appear and abduct people. Uh, that, that's another part of it as well that we see going on. And then they turn into soap foam. And then, yeah, a dis- dis- disabling soap foam. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. This is actually part of it that's confusing, I think, for me and maybe for others. It's one of the reasons people have trouble with this is that somehow connected to these Xerophon that we're going to meet in the yep. in the second half of this story, that the, this is somehow this energy from the Xerophon creates these soap foam slash creatures. It, that was very confusing mm-hmm. under
2: the control of the master and that's what his device supposedly does is helps him control these powers yeah right but then you've got the good the good xerifim opposing him. who are fighting against him and that's the ones that talk to the doctor when he's in the soap foam and yes yeah. yeah.
1: so to kind of attempt to piece together what's really going on here there's this planet called Xerophos that got devastated and with radiation poisoning, and so its inhabitants, the Xerophon, left it. This was 140 million years ago. They arrived at Earth, and they crashed on Earth, and to preserve themselves, they merged themselves into a single blobby worm life form. And mm-hmm. and so they're they're a gestalt now, where you have each individual Xerophon is kind of submerged in this group consciousness, and then the master shows up, and he's stuck. His TARDIS is broken. He escaped Castrovalva, but he's stuck in. And it's been it has not been long at all since we've seen him. So he's mm-hmm. like can't get rid of this guy, <laughs> but he he's stuck in this time period, and he's had to rejigger his TARDIS because he needs a power supply, and he wants to use the Xerophon, because they have apparently vast psychic energy, and he has convinced some of the Xerophon to aid him. And so they have, within the, the Gestalt consciousness of the Xerophon, they have a split personality problem, where you have good Xerophon who are, who want to work against the Master and bad Xerophon who want to help the Master— and that explains why the um part of why the plot is so inconsistent mm-hmm. because right. at times the good Xerophi are winning and at times the bad Xrapphi are winning, but we don't know any of that yet, so to the audience, it's just flat out confusing right and what the master has done is partially rejiggered his tardis to create a time contour in hopes of snagging the doctor's tardis. And they don't say this, but he knows the doctor is obsessed with 20th century Britain. So that's where he sent the other end of the time contour to try to snag the TARDIS. But instead, it snagged this Concord first. Um, And so he's using the Concord passengers as hypnotized slave labor to try to break into the inner sanctum of the Xerophon so he can get direct control of the Mm -hmm. blobby worm creature gestalt consciousness and use that to power his TARDIS at which point he will have supposedly unlimited power but he's also in the meantime managed to lure the doctor back here and so he wants TARDIS components from him so that he can re he can completely fix his TARDIS and go off and be evil as always or as almost always with the master you know he's just a madman w- with a box he's just an yeah. e- extra mad madman so he needs an alien race for power and this right. time, it happens to be the Zarin.
0: Yeah, It's Yeah, like as as it, you can tell from that explanation, <laughs> it's a convoluted serial plot, and it's just and you don't you don't get that explanation until you're most you of the don't way know, through the
1: story. You don't get it ever. You, 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 <laughs> you only get right. pieces of it.
0: <laughs> right, 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 and you have to piece it together yourself, basically. So there is one passenger from the first Concorde flight who didn't fall for the illusion this uh professor hater alan heineck professor <laughs> professor hater he's a professional hater uh, he's yeah. a pr- professor of stuff well he's a psych of psych, psychology I, I guess but he's mm. an expert in hypnosis uh, so therefore mm. that makes him immune to the hypnotic effects of the of oh, the master so, so he thinks so he thinks right.
2: he's still under the effect of it just not the way he thinks he is
0: yeah oh well he he thinks that well he, he of course he doesn't know what happened that they've traveled through time so he just thinks that Concord has been diverted by the Soviets behind the iron mm-hmm. curtain they must be in Siberia that's what that's where they are right
1: Yeah and since we don't get to see any dinosaurs there's nothing to contradict that theory
0: <laughs> Right right, right. <laughs> makes it logical I guess because it's more logical than traveling back in time 140 million years So there's a lot of running around back and forth. Nyssa gets taken over by the alien intelligence that's opposed to Khalid slash the master.
2: Yeah, this is the good. This is the good side of the Zeraphins, Zaref, or how are you pronounced? I, mm-hmm. I want to say yeah. Zeraphath, but that's that's a biblical c- character. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Professor Hater plays the Doctor's foil here, by the way, in, in like in the companions, uh, quote unquote, or temporary companions, he is, doubts the Doctor at every turn while Captain Stapley has become a believer in the doctrine. Yeah. So they they kind of oppose each other as in this.
2: Hater gets a little annoying for a while. Mm-hmm. Yes. Until he's finally convinced, but it takes a while.
0: Yeah, well, the doctor throws in his face, like, I do not wish to believe, therefore I hallucinate. Is that the philosophy of Darlington men, professor? He kind of gets a little snappy with <laughs> him. Yeah. Kind of funny. Yeah, so there is a moment where Nyssa and Tegan are in this temple somebody built. I'm not sure. Whether it was the Master or the Zerphin before they became a Gestalt, uh, but they're they're trying to get to the inner sanctum. They're being led there, and the bad Zerphin slash the Master are trying to prevent them by giving them hallucinations to ward them off. Uh, progressively more, you know, scary. Although the one that really makes them pause is they see a hallucination of Adric, played mm-hmm. by the the actor, his final final appearance in Doctor Who.
1: And this was pre planned. John Nathan Turner wanted Adric in this episode so that his name would appear in the Radio Times the same week Mm. that the final episode of Earthshock was released, so people would not see that he's not in the next episode and realize he was going to die. So he said, Can we have a cameo of Adric here? And so it's a hallucination of Adric. It's see through, but it's fairly effectively realized because. The hallucination of Adric tells Tegan and Nyssa that if they take another step, they'll destroy him. Right. Again. And so it's an effective deterrent, and they've encountered so much weird stuff traveling with the doctor. That's something you can't just dismiss, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> when the right. when the guy you thought was dead shows up and says, if you take another step, you'll destroy me. Yeah, yeah. But Nyssa spots the issue, and she says, wait, look, he's wearing his gold star, his badge for mathematical excellence. That was destroyed yep. with the Cybermen. And so they reason that it can't be Adric, it must be an illusion, and they plow through it, and it screams in agony, which is great. <laughs> mm-hmm. The problem in Nyssa's theory, it, this, sto- this universe has time travel. So yeah, right. who's to say this isn't Adric from before he died?
0: <laughs> right,
2: right.
1: You could Oops. be changing history by taking that step and destroying him now.
0: Maybe it really was Adric, and she <laughs> destroyed him. <laughs> we can always oh, hope. We, we, <laughs> <laughs> so the the as usual, the master gets the drop on the doctor, reveals himself. It, like the, you've got the classic villain removing the the mask, with the laugh. Uh, yeah. I'm the master. He he gets the drop on the doctor get, he, and, in fact, gets the TARDIS key from him and takes off in the TARDIS. But the doctor says uh, he's not too uh, concerned because in order to land at Heathrow, they had to do some weird thing with a coordinate override switch, and he left it on. And so the doctor says, it's just going to keep coming back so, uh, the, until the master realizes that I've left the, the uh, boomerang switch on. <laughs> in other words, he <laughs> left the parking brake on. <laughs> right, yeah right. <laughs> well, actually I thought he that's how he always flew it with the parking brake on, according to River Song. So when uh, <laughs> when the Tard- I so this is the part that we were talking about before. When the TARDIS comes back and the master comes out of it, the Captain Stapley and the first officer, uh built in, sneak on board and mm-hmm. yep. first they try to sabotage it. Oh
1: well, first their their first thought or Stapley's first thought is let's keep the master out of here to interfere oh, right. with his plans. <laughs> and so if we can maybe like find the controls to shut the door, and 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 the 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 co-pilot says, well, what about this big red ball on a stick here, yeah. which is in fact the door control, <laughs> right? And, and he says, oh, I don't <laughs> think it's that one. So they
0: they. they they deliberately
1: <laughs> deliberately yeah. miss the door control and go looking for it elsewhere on the console.
0: Yeah, because what you would never make a door control the big red ball on a stick. That's got obviously something important, like a throttle or a, you know. Yeah, exactly. No, no, that's the door.
2: <laughs> so <laughs> you think the door? Yeah, door control is probably just a little a little switch, you know, a little button, you know, no big deal.
0: <laughs> so uh, yeah, and so they eventually ha- they sabotage it. They take parts out and switch them around, which. The doctor says you're lucky you didn't blow up (laughs) the planet by uh, by by destabilizing something. Uh, They eventually going to every
1: star in the universe all at once through all of history.
0: Yes, yes, Uh, supernova except for Earth very slowly. So they get locked in by the master and sent off, uh, although not very far. They're hovering above the temple and they're trying to fly the TARDIS. Like, look, we are we're pilots of the Concorde, the most advanced aircraft. (laughs) in the world in 1982 <laughs> we should be able to fly anything let's see if we can fly this and so they actually are trying to land the darn thing uh and end up they end up not doing too bad uh the, mm-hmm. the TARDIS controls are not the most uh clear uh although there's a manual well, in there somewhere
2: well I, I like that I like that how they're they look at these two controls that look like flight levers or something like that it's like oh these must be it it's like nope <laughs> yeah. So something bad
0: happens.
1: So, meanwhile, back at the ranch, yes, so Tegan and Nyssa have gotten inside of the inner sanctum, right, and they don't make this really clear, but the hypnotized passengers from the first concord, the masters got them banging on this big like prism rock structure, yeah in in his in the overall citadel and and it's it's it, it actually contains the Sanctum where Nyssa and Tegan are, but the external prop is nowhere near big enough. So right. this must have a bigger on the inside effect as well. Yeah. But the Masters got them, even though they think they're at, they're at Heathrow preparing to take their Concorde flight, they are nevertheless, for some reason, banging on this thing, trying to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> and hmm. and Nissa and Tegan are actually there, and inside there is a four horned Hebrew altar of incense with really big horns. Yeah. At least archaeologically that's what it looks like. Uh, not mm-hmm. not not animal horns, but if you've seen one of these altars, you you would know what I'm you would have an idea what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. And they they sort of make contact kind of with the Xerophon, eventually the doctor and uh Professor Hada get in there too and start talking to the Xerophon, which is how we start learning about what's really going on, finally, now that we're in episode three.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. And for for reasons, apparently, the Xerophon need to telepathically merge with a human being. And at first they start doing it with Nyssa, but the doctor is like, wait, stop, you'll die. And so Professor Hayda... Hater says, uh, I keep confusing him with the story Hate of the Shepherd by Ambrose Bierce, which is a great story, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> but Professor Hayda says, oh, wait, I'll volunteer to be the sacrificial lamb on this altar of incense because I'm a man of science and knowledge. And even though I'll die, I'll get to know everything very briefly. <laughs> and, <laughs> very briefly. <laughs> and... <laughs> and so uh, the doctor's like, no, stop, you'll die, but he does it anyway, yes. and and immediately dies. And But then after that, for reasons, the zeraphin start to get to manifest themselves as transparent holograms and fill mm-hmm. us in on the backstory. Right. Mean, meanwhile, we've got our pilots up in the sky trying to land the TARDIS, and they're not having much luck, and what happens but out of the TARDIS hallway... Out walks Professor Hader and lands it for him.
0: Yes, that was... And then disappears, so...
1: Yeah, although we don't see that. He just disappears off camera.
0: Yeah, that... There's no explanation for... Like, I always thought we were going to come back like, Oh, he... Manifested into a new life form or something, but no, well, he
1: just—they they, kind of did that. It's in a couple of lines of dialogue with with Nissa because they're they're going, well, wait, but he died. Once they realize, once the pilots learn that the real Hater is dead, right? They say, well, how could we see him? Was he a ghost? And Nissa's like, oh no, he he didn't really die. He got absorbed into Zeraphim consciousness. So what you saw was apparently
0: a projection, right? Oh right, 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 That's right. I remember that, so yeah well yeah, uh it's just it's all part of the confusion of the but but <laughs> notice how
1: notice how, even though they've got an explanation for what they're throwing up on the screen, look at how discombobulated it is. This happens for mm-hmm. no in story reason, we don't it just stuff yeah. happens, stuff's happening, and they explain it after the fact, but there's no logic to it,
0: mm. There is another interesting element in this is that the the way that the the British Air, the Concorde crew, keeps uh, themselves from being re-mesmerized by the master is Mm -hmm. they keep telling themselves that it's all like the Indian rope trick. The Indian rope trick, the Indian rope trick. And that's like built in at one point, breaks himself out of the mesmer by by, by repeating that to himself, which is interesting. And the Indian rope trick is like – they don't actually – Yeah, they they assume
1: that the audience knows what it is, so they don't bother explaining it. What the Indian it's a famous trick from India, and it's widely reported as having been seen, but there's an asterisk on that. What happens and there are different versions of it, but what happens is an Indian magician gets a rope to go up vertically in the air, and then his assistant, typically a young boy, will climb the rope and disappear. And he himself may even climb up the rope and disappear. Now, this is doable up to a point. You can get a rope to stand up vertically with, Mm -hmm. you know, stage magic. And you can climb up the rope or have your assistant climb up the rope. If there is something blocking the view of the top of the rope, you can even vanish the assistant. Mm -hmm. But... The thing about the Indian rope trick is it's supposed to be performed without anything visibly blocking the top of the rope mm-hmm. and that is where the historicity gets call- of this gets called into question can anybody actually do that right. and, and the answer appears to be no Penn and Teller did a magical mystery tour of the world a few years ago where they, it was a documentary series where they went around to different countries like Egypt and India and so forth and learned about, and China and learned about the native, you know, the magic performed by the magicians there locally. And so when they went to India, they really wanted to investigate the Indian rope trick and they did a big thing on it. And apparently, although we have reports of it, We can't really source it. We can't say that for sure the classic version of the trick with nothing obstructing the top of the rope was done. Mm -hmm. And so they did the next best thing. They set up a, a performance of the Indian rope trick, knowing they couldn't vanish an assistant from an unobstructed top of the rope. But at they what they did instead was they got this whole crowd around to of Confederates to watch the rope trick. Who were all in on what we're about to do, uh-huh. and then they ran out in the street and grabbed a couple of British tourists and said, "The famous Indian rope trick is being performed right here. Come on in!" And they brought <laughs> them. They brought them in, and 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 then they're witnessing not the rope trick itself, but the apparent aftermath of the rope trick, just after the vanish. Oh, and all of the happened. all of the crowd is applauding, <laughs> and the British <laughs> tourists just missed it. But the idea is they didn't want to admit they just missed it, and so they would spread the idea that they had actually seen the Indian rope trick. That's oh a hilarious. little bit of psychology. That's nice, <laughs> yeah. that's
0: nice. So uh they that's so the rope trick there's the way is the, sort of a, a mantra that they use to to get themselves out of the, the hypnosis of the master. By,
1: by the way, I love one part where uh, Captain Shapley is talking, I believe it's to the co pilot who's been hypnotized. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. co pilot He's trying to snap the co-pilot out of the hypnosis, yeah. but the co-pilot thinks he's in this pre-flight rundown, mm-hmm. and so he's rattling off this checklist of things you do before you fly a Concorde, right. know, confirming that this is working and that is working. And as he does the pre-flight, pre-flight checklist, Captain Shapley starts to or Stapley starts to get drawn into it, and right. he momentarily becomes hypnotized, too, by the pre-flight checklist, and I really like that.
0: Yeah. That was good. That was good. And he ends up having to snap him out of it himself. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, at the, the the resolution of this is that is at the end, the master, they go out to find the Concorde. They, the master has so, sort of disappeared. And they're like, oh, there's Concorde number one, the one that first disappeared. It's over there. And I forget who it was that notices, but they notice when, that.
1: One of the flight crew notices. It, I believe it's the flight engineer and says it shimmered. Yeah.
0: Yes. And someone else says, it's in too good a shape for having landed on this rocky plane that they're you know, it's not on a runway. Uh, it's it's a little too perfect. And that's when the doctor says, Oh, he the the master has materialized his TARDIS around the Concorde and has a functioning camouflage circuit to make the his TARDIS look like the Concorde, and that's what they're seeing. So um man, those camouflage circuits can be useful if they're <laughs> functioning. If they actually work. <laughs> yeah, if they actually work. Uh so the 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 whole gimmick here is the doctor needs parts from the first Concorde in order to get the second Concorde airworthy to be able to take off. And he wants to get the passengers back He no, also from the first
1: He also needs elements from his own TARDIS. And so he and the master strike a deal. The yeah. master will release all the passengers and give him all of the TARDIS components that are not necessary for his own TARDIS to work. Right. And the doctor will give the master a key piece that he's missing, because right. since the flight crew switched stuff around, he took the wrong thing. Right. And basically, this they, the deal goes through. So yep. the master gets his working TARDIS, the doctor gets the passengers back, as well as what he needs for his TARDIS. What we don't have explained to us up front, though, but we do eventually learn, is that the doctor has that programming limit in the thing he mm-hmm. gave the master. So it is guaranteed that the master's TARDIS will materialize over Heathrow. That uh, yes, and and also after they themselves arrive, right. so they'll be there first to deal with them.
0: That's right. So they and, and I got to say again, the Stapley and his crew. there's This is ni- nice, little sequence of them figuring out how to get their Concorde flying again because a uh, Concorde doesn't use doesn't have a key. You have to; it needs a, a auxiliary power generator. It needs compressed mm-hmm. air to get the turbine turning. And so they had come up with this thing of using the tires from the first Concorde and Did the very, air in them
1: very tiny, tiny tires for a giant yeah. plane.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is. A bit- a bit uh, small, but uh, they use the air in those, and they they rig up a, a something to get the air into the turbine to get oh, it is, is, spinning. It's a
2: good thing though? they had all that, you know, air air uh, hose and valves and everything just laying around in the Concorde, you know, oh, just grab no, it and they go. St-
0: they stripped it out of the first one, like they stripped it from its, well. But
2: you don't have things, you don't have all that, you don't have regulators and stuff like that just right, right, laying right, right, around right. that you could just hook together
0: like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe the doctor had some in a closet, and so. <laughs> <laughs> they they eventually take off off of this rocky plane, which okay, a little suspension of disbelief there. And they get back to 1982. They land uh, at Heathrow. the The TARDIS lands separately, dematerializes from the Concorde. I mean, right. Uh, yep, so it, the
2: idea that the Doctor dematerializing the TARDIS basically kicked the Concorde back to 1982 is how they explained right. it.
0: So he lands on roof uh, of of the terminal. Uh, the uh, at the
1: exact coordinates where the master's TARDIS will be landing.
0: Right, and so because it's there, the the mat, when the master tries to land, the TARDIS slingshots him to Zeraphis, where the Zeraphin will be able to regenerate. Now that it's 140 million years later, and their planet is uh, apparently back to normal, and where he will be stuck because the TARDIS component will be burnt out. So stuck, quote unquote.
1: So okay.
0: Even
2: if,
1: <laughs> even if you landing in the master's parking spot will keep him from landing there, um, why does that mean the only other parking spot in the universe is present day Zeraphus? They never explain yeah. that. Yeah. and and furthermore, what do you mean he can't land in your parking spot? We've seen Tardises materialize around other Tardises. In, in fact, fact, that was going to be that, that was, was gonna the be part of backup plan in this one. <laughs> the yeah. doctor was going to materialize his TARDIS around the Masters.
0: Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Well, uh, maybe you have to intentionally. I don't know. It's yeah. It it doesn't make sense. Then there's as things end up, uh, like, Teagan wanders off. She she goes. I forget what what reason she gave. She gave, uh, she, but
1: she just go, wants to take a walk around the airport or something.
0: And then she goes down to, I think, like the, she's from the Australian, I don't know if they say Qantas, but she's an Australian uh, stewardess. So she goes down and she looks, you know, longingly at what, you know, the, the, the gates International departures. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and we think, oh, is she going to leave? And the TARDIS ends up having to take off uh, quickly because the, uh, the, the police have shown up and the head of the airport is mad. And about for something. some
1: reason, the doctor can't whip out the unit excuse again.
0: Exactly. And so they have to take off quickly. And Tegan gets back late and misses the TARDIS. And she's left behind.
1: Mm-hmm. She's and- ditched. This is the first ever companion ditching. I mean, the doctors <laughs> had, to, had to leave companions before that he couldn't take with him, like Sarah Jane when he was summoned to Gallifrey. Yep. And so he's had to leave people who didn't want to be left before. They had warning. This is the first exactly. time he's just ditched somebody, right? And he and Nyssa don't even say, "Oh, well, we've got to get out of here," despite Tegan's not here or anything. And so it's kind of an affecting moment when Tegan runs up and 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 someone says, "Like, well, I thought you were traveling with him," and she says, "So did I." Right. Yeah. And, and and that's our out note. Uh, there's a rumor that this was done because. That Tegan's contract had run out, or the actress's contract had run out, and Uh. and that's apparently not true, although it seems to be true that he wasn't sure if he wanted Tegan in the next series, and this was written as a possible exit for her in case it was decided not to have her in the next series, but... It was decided, so she's back next episode or next series. Spoilers, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. The next season, yeah. So this, like I think we mentioned earlier, this is the first. This is the last epi- uh, story of this season. The first, the the fifth doctor's first season. So correct, uh, yeah. So, so, so that the was next... the last.
2: That last thing you saw as the season
0: ended. The series right. ended cliffhanger. Uh, yeah. And it was a long time before the next the next season started. There would wasn't there wouldn't be a new season until. January of eighty three, so they 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 had a big break there.
2: And by the way, I, I know we've mentioned it before, but you know we use the term season versus series. And here in the United States, we always use seasons. So this is yeah. you know, the first season of the mm-hmm. Fifth Doctor. Over there, it's series. Yes. yeah. We talk right. about series as Doctor Who, the Doctor Who series, the entire run. show. show. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I did like if you know that before this possible exit for Tegan, that. We got to see her air hostessing. Yes. Because because at the end when they're about to do the second time flight back to the twentieth century, they let Tegan do the honors and, and mm-hmm. so she's got all the passengers there on the Dino dinoless tundra and it's like, Okay, <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, we apologize for the delay, but your flight is now ready to board. Please step this way. And we get to <laughs> we get to see her doing the air hostess thing. So I yep. love I love that. That I, I just good. want
2: to know where the air stairs were, though, 120-million-year-old yeah. yeah. air stairs. If <laughs> yeah. you haven't seen a Concorde, they're very tall.
0: Yes. Yeah. In fact, they show us at one point them having to climb the air stairs at Heathrow to get into the Concorde. Yep. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how that worked. So, uh, that and that's where we end. Uh, last thoughts, Father Corey?
2: You know, it, it wasn't... The worst, but it, I, it, it's still not a fan of this episode. <laughs> I did like how on the air traffic control, they called them Speedboard, Speedbird Concord, where Speedbird is still the air traffic control call sign for a, a British Airways. All right, They still do that today.
0: Yep. And uh, Jimmy? I liked a
1: sight gag that uh, early on when the doctor's trying to find his way around this citadel, which I don't think they ever really explained why this citadel is there. I mean, it's got the sanctum in it, the master is in it, but why is it even there? Right. But he's, it has, despite its concrete slab-like exterior, it's got a cave-like interior and he's got to find his way around it and at one point, he's confronted with a decision of which way to go, you know, left or right, and he flips a coin. Yep. And then, and so it says to go right, but he wants to go left so he turns the coin over and then goes yeah. left. <laughs> <laughs> that,
0: a great yeah. one. that is a that is a very human thing to do. Yes. <laughs> I did like that. Uh, and as I said at the beginning, you know, there I, there were the aspects of this I liked. There was lots that was confusing to me, but uh I, there were still elements like the the Concord itself and the Captain Stapley and a few other things that I, I enjoyed about this one so uh, I wouldn't I by by no means would I place this at in the bottom of the rankings for episodes I've seen, but uh, uh, it is nowhere near the top. So I'd say it's about a middling episode for me uh, in general. I
1: think it's a below middling for me, but it's certainly not the worst. I
0: agree with that. We've seen some pretty bad ones already. (laughs) 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 Twin dilemma. So we'd uh, like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Dr. Who, including gail s brian w dustin b clint c and john r their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of doctor who and all the shows at starquest you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give we'd also like to thank victor lambs who edits the show for us every week so that's it from us what did you think of time flight this fifth doctor's uh, story you can let us know by commenting on the show at SQPN.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send us an email to Doctor Who at SQPN.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the sixth Doctor story Revelation of the Daleks. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettanelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, police boxes went out with flower power. Right. This is going to be fun.